Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello, thank you for downloading. Welcome to episode 124 of We Are Going Off. I had to check then. Uh, this is Mark Crossley. It is that time of year when as fans we all start to dream. Can we go up? Can we sneak into those playoffs? Can we survive? So much to talk about at this point in the season. So as you can imagine, the studio is bulging full of people ready to talk about it. Except... There's no one here. Where where is everyone? DC, he's usually here. Carl, Adam, anyone? It's just me. Hang on, I'm going to make a call. We need to make a call here. I can't do this whole show on my own. Here we go. It's ringing. Hello. Jim Knight. Hello. Hello, mate. How you doing? Congratulations, right, congratulations. Leicester City promoted to the Premier League and uh, that is why you're in Leicester, I believe. Yeah, it doesn't feel real, does it? <laughs> so you're going to the game against Brighton, which is on Tuesday yeah. night as we record this week. Here's some stats for you. It's only taken 3,612 days, 454 league games, 625 league goals, nine managers, 178 players and 43 red cards. By the way, I did all those stats myself. Uh, and Leicester God. City are back in the Premier League. Oh, God, that's a depressing list of uh, statistics, <laughs> isn't it? You've got too much time on your hands, mate. If you no, tr- trust them, me, like... I nicked that off Twitter. So um, how did yeah. you follow it on Saturday, then? The thing is, I was at a family wedding on Saturday in the middle of the countryside in Shrewsbury in a castle with <laughs> literally no phone signal whatsoever. So it was a case of going to the highest point of the venue as we can, or the top of the car park to try and get a few, <laughs> um, a few updates. It was the most shambolic effort I've ever seen. Um, trying to follow and eventually it came through and I was just checking the scores on my phone because I knew that we needed Derby and uh, QPR both but to lose there. the main thing games. is the main thing is it's done now and it's, yes. it's achieved yeah. and we're going to talk about it Leicester the first team this season in the Football League to get promoted we're going to have a special guest on the line to join us in a second and later Jim check this out DC isn't here he's in Newcastle of course he is. Don't ask. Anyway, we'll speak is. to DC later uh, to look back on all the week's action. We'll talk Massimo Cellino, Stuart Pearce, the FA Cup semi-finals coming up this weekend and DC playing up front with Lufa Blissett last week at the New Den. Uh, we're also going to be reflecting on another stunning away win for Steve Evans and Rotherham United in League One. Uh, the Millers came back from 3-2 down to win 4-3 at Gillingham on Saturday, inspired by that Tom Hitchcock hat-trick. And that result not only gives them a playoff spot for definite, but also a real chance of a second successive automatic promotion uh, we'll find out more on their amazing season so far from Jonathan Buchan who is a freelance sports broadcaster who covers Rotherham for BBC Radio Sheffield so all that to come then uh, but let's begin with the first side to be promoted in the Football League this season because Leicester City have done it the Foxes are back in the promised land of the Premier League after a 10 year absence they beat Sheffield Wednesday 2-1 at the KP on Friday night 21 league games unbeaten that put them on the brink of promotion but as Jim said Derby and QPR uh, on Saturday both lost and that sealed Leicester's return to the top flight with six games to spare which shows the sheer extent of their dominance this season in the championship and let's not forget all this after a year ago exiting in the playoffs in heartbreaking fashion Uh, the board stuck with Nigel Pearson and they've been rewarded joining myself and Jim on the line patiently waiting is another big Leicester fan who was in the somewhat unique position of being there at Dean Court uh, to see the Bournemouth QPR game 
on Saturday. It is Jason Bourne, who's a sports journalist, presenter and commentator at BBC Radio Leicester, well known uh, to Leicester fans in that area. Jason, thank you very much for coming on the show. It has been a long decade uh, for fans of uh, Leicester City. Talk me through your emotions on Saturday then when that final whistle went. Was it kind of a, a hairs on the back of the neck kind of moment? It was actually a pretty surreal day because I had to drive three and a half hours down to Dean Court for that game against uh, Queen's Park Rangers and obviously Bournemouth at the, uh, on Saturday. And, um, yeah, you know, you never thought whether it was going to be worth it or not. And obviously <laughs> I was covering it for BBC Radio Leicester, uh, do updates into the afternoon. And, um, I mean, my emotions at the full-time whistle were... I mean, I've got to remain professional at the time while I'm doing it. But I mean, as a, a boyhood Leicester City fan as well, it was, it was an incredible sight. I mean, I was probably the only one cheering as much as I was for Leicester City at the time. And um, I mean, I rang my dad straight afterwards after I'd uh, just done my final match report because he lives in Cyprus at the moment. And uh, I spoke to him and he was in tears. And then I started crying a little bit. And it was that good a feeling on Saturday. It's been 10 years of absolute pain for a lot of Leicester City fans simply because of the relegation to League One. That was a terrible, terrible season. You know, the likes of Ian Holloway, Gary Megson, Martin Allen in charge that season. It was horrible. Administration a few years before that, doing poor in the championship. But actually, the relegation to League One, the subsequent promotion, Nigel Pearson the first time round, and now the second time round. He's, he's worked wonders. He's done a great job at the football club. And, you know, the City fans deserve um, promotion after the season, which they've had because there's some great football. Mm. Well, you've, you've completely destroyed the division, haven't you? I mean, Jason's listed uh, a load of the managers there, Jim. Uh, this is the full list. Mickey Adams, Craig Levine, Rob Kelly, Martin Allen, Gary Megson, Ian Holloway, Nigel Pearson first time around, Paolo Caesar, Sven, and then uh, Nigel Pearson again. Um, talk us through uh, the last decade as a Leicester fan for those sort of people who haven't been following the, the club as closely as you two. A pretty depressing roll call, isn't it? <laughs> you look down that list, <laughs> some of the names on that list, Craig Levine for two years as well, uh, best part of 14, 15 months, Rob Kelly for a little bit, yeah, Martin Allen, and all that, you know, such a high after the, the Martin O'Neill days, which was when I was kind of first getting into football and started following Leicester, and I was lucky enough to kind of see that team that he put together and winning the uh, the Worthington Cup as it was then against Tranmere in, in 2000, but yeah, what's followed is, has been a decade of ups and downs, mostly downs, but Nigel's done a fantastic job. I can't overstate you know, how well he's done, particularly coming back second time round after seeing two managers go in after him. And, you know, he, he held no grudges um, when we brought him back from Hull. And he's done a fantastic job with the squad that he's got. He's, he's trimmed the wage bill. He has uh, consolidated what we've got, worked with it within quite tight budget restraints. And, um, you know, he's going to get his just desserts as well as, as the guys next year when we're in the Premier League. And Jason, how much credit goes to the board then for sticking with Pearson last season? Well, that was the thing as well. I remember doing the commentary of the game up against uh, Barnsley at Oakwell on Easter Monday last season. Um, and City lost by two goals to nil. And it was it was the worst performance by far for a very long time of that season, especially. And it was in the middle of that really poor run of results. You know, from the end of February, City hadn't won for so many games after going top of the table. And they were looking like they were falling out of the playoffs. And would they even make the playoffs at the end of the season? Um, um, and even then, I remember getting up the next morning and seeing all the speculation in the newspapers about Pearson's future. I asked him after the game, you know, you've talked about your future in the past. What about now? And he was quite philosophical about things. I don't think he would have been surprised even at that moment to have been sacked from the football club. But they stuck with him at that time. And obviously what happened against Forest and then Watford a couple of weeks later in the playoff semi-finals was, was heartbreak for the club. And even after that, there was speculation about whether he would lose his job and you know the, the the pressure that he was under because he didn't get City promoted. You know because the owners and they've invested on so much money over a hundred million pounds into the football club. You know, when Sven was here, now when Nigel was here as well, they wanted to see promotion to the Premier League. They wanted to see a return or at least um, something happen because of their investment. And I think a lot has got to get to the board and, and, and the owners at the football club because they have been patient. All right, they may have sacked Sven Joran Eriksson quite swiftly after that defeat against Millwall a couple of seasons ago. But, but since then, they, they've done wonders with improving the training ground, uh, done things to the 
uh, ticket office, the, the club trailer, the club stadium itself, and all those things, you know, marry up together to create a, a cohesive atmosphere and a cohesive environment for Nigel Pearson and his players. And uh, the board and the owners do have to uh, take a lot of credit for it because they've got what they wanted out of it. Might have taken a couple of years later than, it, than they expected, perhaps, but they've got it finally. And uh, Jim, Jason mentioned it before, but I mean, you've really done this in style as well. 27 wins out of 40 games, 76 Six goals scored as uh, as we record. If you had to pick out, I know it's really difficult because I mean you look at that squad; they've all been superb. But if you had to pick out, say, three players this season who've been integral, doesn't all have to be attacking players either to uh, to the success of this season. Who would you go for? Casper Schmeichel, because I think often a goalkeeper's influence, particularly people tend to focus on the back four, but Casper, you know, he he has dropped uh, a couple of clangers during the season. There was one, I think, where he dropped into his own net. Was it Doncaster, was it? Yeah. Yeah, that's and, right, yeah. You know, but those kind of mistakes can be forgiven when he's, you know, he saved penalties. He's made world-class, you know, match-winning saves that have won us far and beyond the amount of points that he's conceded. Nearly scored a goal himself uh, as well. Yeah, nearly scored a goal <laughs> himself, of course, against Yeovil a couple of weeks ago. Um, my second one would probably be Danny Drinkwater. Obviously, he's got a lot of plaudits through the, the Football League Awards. Um, this year and kind of he has been given a lot of credit um, for what he does we spoke a couple of weeks ago when I was I was in the studio about the kind of him doing the unsung work that a lot of the time winning the ball back and he has scored a few goals as well but a lot of his, his you know his day-to-day job is winning the ball back in midfield he and Matty James working together as a unit to break up opposition attacks and, and feed the likes of Anthony Knockart Lloyd Dyer Riyad Mahrez whoever's kind of out on the wings and putting three balls through and Jamie Vardy you know what I am a, a big fan of him and I think just the improvement in Vardy's form from one season to the next, I'm sure Jason will agree on this, that he looks a completely different player from one season to the next. We were you know, all looking at him last year when he came in from Fleetwood with that big price tag relatively, from what, you know, the level that he came from, um, around his neck and saying, you know, is this lad going to be able to cut it here? He would have had his doubts last year, but I don't think he's, he's got any of those left in, in Leicester now. Certainly those that have watched him week in, week out this year, he's, he's been a revelation. I'd agree with all of those points about uh, the key players for City this season, Schmeichel. Um, Danny Drinkwater especially, I think he's uh, been pivotal in what Leicester City have done this season. I remember at the start of the campaign, we went to uh, Middlesbrough to cover the game on the first day of the season. And um, I mean, some City fans were sceptical about whether he should be in the team or not. And I remember him scoring a goal, he cupped his ears to the crowd and be fair, he's not really looked back since then. He's become a, a real fan's favourite. And just on Jamie Vardy, and I think what you've just said there is spot on once again because the improvement he's made as a player over the last 12 months or so has been fantastic. Yes, he came with that relatively large price tag from conference side Fleetwood Town, but he had a difficult first season. And he spoke to uh, the BBC a few weeks ago saying he almost quit football last season because of the pressure and the criticism he got from maybe some sections of the fans um, about how he was performing at the time and again you may have been surprised to see him start the season alongside David Nugent but he's been a fantastic player the aggression he's got the pace he uses to draw defenders out and how many penalties has he won this season again (laughs) opposition fans may say he's a diver but no he's not he's he's able to draw defenders out and he's won seven or eight penalties this season almost half of what Leicester City have got because they've got about 14 or 15 and all of them have rightly been given and, and he's been a star performer because he's added goals to his game and yes he's not in the side at the moment because of that injury he's had with that groin problem but you know I'm sure he'll, he'll be back sooner rather than later Thinking about it I think David Nugent and Stephen Gerrard have probably taken more penalties between them this season than the rest of the players in the Football League haven't they? <laughs> it's been crazy um, Jim so from here on in six games to go uh, the game on Tuesday night against Brighton might have been played by the time people hear this uh, but I suppose the goal now is to go on and and win the, win the title in style yeah absolutely um, we went up to Burnley a couple of weeks ago and we really put a marker down obviously that game was, was billed as a, a title decider and with it you know still being eight games away from the end of the season it wasn't necessarily the case in the truest sense of the word but with both teams being so far ahead of the likes of QPR and Derby that's how it was billed by the, the media and we put our marker down you know we went there and we beat them 2-0 in a, a quite a comprehensive victory as well um, I don't think anyone who watched that game will have disagreed with the result um, and said that we didn't deserve it. So the key now, go on to you know the likes of Brighton, Huddersfield, 
Reading away in a couple of weeks' time and carry on that good form. Pearson isn't the type of manager to let the, the, the players rest on their laurels. I think uh, Jason will, will tell you that from the times that he's spoken to, to Pearson in person this season. You're not going to be able to, to go out and spend the rest of the season kind of mentally on the beach. Pearson is going to want that title just as much as uh, as any any fan in the in the crowd. And so the players. I think he's got a group of players with relatively little, you know, few egos. I think that was one of the key things that he did over the last couple of years, as well as the wage. But a lot of the big egos went out of the club. Uh, these players play for each other. They're playing for the fans and, you know, they're playing for that league title because it's going to look fantastic in the trophy cabinet in a few weeks' time. And Jason, I know you were down at the stadium today. I think Pearson was sort of straight onto that uh, already, wasn't he? Sort of talking about, you know, back to work and all that kind of thing. Yeah, he said they've got to celebrate what's been happening at the moment. And of course, uh, they have done. And uh, Jim Riley mentions the togetherness in the squad. There's been videos floating around of a few Leicester City players celebrating the victory. Well, I say the victory. <laughs> it felt like a victory. The, the promotion on Saturday afternoon around five o'clock. Lots of Marshall Vasilevsky, Andy King, Liam Moore. A few selfies going around, wasn't there? Yeah, a few of those <laughs> going around as well. And But he said, you know, they want to get the title now. They've always talked about wanting to win the title as well. And the nine points clear at the top of the table uh, before the game against Brighton on Tuesday and they've got to do it I mean they're favourites to do it already I also just want to say as well because of the consistent performances this season it's because of a consistent team and the club um, have said and like to uh, put on record as well how good their sports science is at the moment. It's something that Nigel Pearson truly believes in about injury prevention and stopping players getting hurt before going out on the field and, and making them as fit as possible, even if they're not necessarily in the side because they've got to come in maybe after half an hour or an hour of a game and be ready to go. And we've seen the, maybe the likes of Nottingham Forest and uh, City play Barnsley a few weeks ago, defenders going off injured in the first half and Forest players may be coming back before they should and that has been key this season injury prevention there's only been one or two minor I mean major injuries this season Sean St. Ledger uh, Zimana Bakayoga who may not really featured a great deal this season but that has been key as well and I think Nigel Pearson will use that as a as a template going forward as well in terms of next season and who he brings in and um, anything else he can add to that with the training ground it's 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 all bright for Leicester <laughs> City at the moment Well th- that is the sort of fun stuff out of the way now let's get, into, uh, get down to business for next season um, I'm going to read you a list here of uh, the last uh, three teams to go up from the Championship as title winners which obviously we presume Leicester will uh, Cardiff Reading uh, and QPR. Now, um, I think pretty soon after all those clubs went up, Neil Warnock, um, Brian McDermott and Malky Mackay lost their jobs. And I think, uh, well, Cardiff is soon to be relegated, we imagine, so none of those sides will be in the Premier League. So this is a big job for Nigel Pearson, isn't it, Jim, in the Premier League? It's a huge job, yeah. And I think the pressure that you're going to get in the Premier League is unlike anything that he's going to have necessarily felt before. And I hope, personally... Um, the board stick with him I think they probably will I think it's impossible to say you know we haven't got a crystal ball and the pressure of the Premier League and the amount of money that comes in from the revenue streams and things like that um, ultimately can can prove the downfall of a manager to be honest and you know those managers that you've just alluded to there Mark will, will not be the first and they certainly won't be the last promoted managers um, to lose their jobs within maybe six months um, which is a, a huge shame but I've, I've got every faith in Pearson. I think he's going to get the budget this, this summer to do what he wants with the squad, whether he wants to, to make a few additions, whether he wants to keep that, the core of that team together, get them tied down to, to contracts as well. I mean, we've spoken a few times on the on the podcast before, and when we had James Sharp on a, a few months back, you know, one of the key talking points was uh, the likes of the, the, the big names that are out of contract in the summer, and, and Pearson himself is going to need a new deal as well. I've got every faith in him and I hope the board stick with him and hopefully we're able to make a good enough fist of the Premier League campaign in the first four or five months to kind of alleviate that pressure and make sure that there isn't that kind of guillotine hanging over the head feeling well, uh, come Christmas time. Uh, Jason, uh, Leicester have gone out of the, the cup competitions to a couple of Premier League teams this season so they have played a bit against Premier League opposition. Looking at that squad which has performed, let's you know, let's sort of not beat you around the bush, performed incredibly well this season, might go on to pa- uh, surpass 100 points. What are those, the areas of that squad that you think in the Premier League perhaps are going to need a bit of strengthening? I mean, it's interesting you mentioned those Premier League um, sides they played this season in the cup competitions. Of course, they played um, Fulham in the League Cup as well, beat them 4-3 and well worth their victory on that particular occasion. Went close against Stoke in the FA Cup. Again, it wasn't a full Leicester City side, but a big one against Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Most sides are clearly not going to beat them. But again, they gave a good fist of it on that night. And I think possibly the 
only uh, side on the way to the final to even score a goal against yeah. Manchester City. Yeah. I think Lloyd Dyer, wasn't it, in the second half. But, I mean, in terms of strengthening the side for next season, I think they've got a, a good core of players already. We've mentioned Danny Drinkwater. We've mentioned Kasper Schmeichel. And maybe Jamie Vardy. Is he going to be able to make the step up? They've got that good spine of a team already. You look at Wes Morgan, who's been a pivotal player at the heart of central defence over the last couple of seasons. Is he going to keep Martin Vasilevsky? Liam Moore within that setup as well. Um, I look at perhaps uh, full-back, left-back as a potential position, which does need um, addressing. You've got Paul Kincheski there, but he's not played a great deal. And it was a big statement from Nigel Pearson um, after playing Paul Kincheski against Wigan. He invested a few players for that game. And then brought Jeffrey Schlupp back for the game against Sheffield Wednesday on Friday, which I thought was not bold, but it just shows that maybe he's erring with uh, or siding with Jeffrey Schlupp in terms of that left-back position. Is Kincheski going to be good enough? But is Schlupp going to be good enough against proper Premier League players? You also look at the central midfield, Bird, Drinkwater, James, you would expect or hope they can make the step up. But you've also got Andy King there, who's a very good championship player who you would hope to be able to step up as well. And out the two wide men, Riyad Mahrez and Anthony Kanaka, again, it's about stepping up. But you need... Or do you? I don't know. Do you need a 20-goal striker? I mean, that's the big question in the Premier League at the moment. And um, It's weird, isn't it? Because like, someone like Nugent in the Championship yeah. will get you 20 goals and you think, what a great great striker. But from the times we've seen him in the Premier League, he obviously he's been playing in sort of bottom half sides, of course, but he, he's got sort of, tended to get about 8, 10 goals a season, maybe. So Yeah, I mean, he went to Portsmouth and they didn't really fancy him straight away, did they? I think they loaned him out to the likes of Burnley and places like that, although he's got an FA Cup winner's medal. But you look at the squad there that they've got up front, they've got Vardy, can he make that step up so soon? Um, after playing non-league football just a couple of years ago. And Nugent, as you mentioned, Chris Wood, who Nigel Pearson keeps reminding us is still a very young player. It's in good form at the moment, scored for both club and country. That cracker against Burnley a couple of weeks ago as well. Oh, what a goal. Well, it was. And you look at Kevin Phillips, he's, you don't expect him <laughs> to make the step once again. Gary Taylor-Fletcher, although, would be a good player to have around. Again, not a player that is prolific, so you would expect maybe a striker to come in. But as heard from Nigel Pearson over the weekend, he's not going to sign, or he says he's not going to sign marquee players. And we've been talking about it on our radio station over the last couple of days about how many players need to come in. Is it five? Is it six? Is it is it seven? But well, the big question is, will that affect, bringing all those players in, affect the nucleus of the squad, the togetherness of the squad that he's so, uh, that Nigel Pearson has worked so hard to build and out of the ashes of the Sven Euron Eriksson regime? So <laughs> it's going to be an interesting mm. summer down at the King Power Stadium and uh, one we're going to clearly watch closely. Yeah, well, that's obviously something he's got to sort of bear in mind, not disrupting it too much. Uh, one player I did want to uh, flag up that uh, you mentioned there, uh, Jason, uh, is a knockout. Jim, just uh, talk to us a bit about him. We've got to have a word on him because, of course, he was the, the villain missing the penalty at Watford last season. He scored an absolutely brilliant free kick on Friday. Uh, how much has he uh, sort of proved his worth this year? Yeah, I think um, I don't think there was too much ill feeling towards him, I think, which is one of the main things. We look at it, it's kind of juxtaposed per- uh, perfectly, I think, with the. Um, Jan Kermagant situation from a couple of years ago when he tried to chip that penalty in the shootout at Cardiff away in the second leg where you know we went there forced at a penalty shootout and he, he's chipped it and the fan reaction then was completely different to the knockout one well, certainly the, the fan reaction that I kind of gauged was you know it was one of sympathy for knockout rather than uh, rather than kind of anger and uh, and you know frustration uh, which it was two years uh, two or three years before he's a he's a brilliant player on his day he is um, I think our luxury player, if you like. Um, on his day, yeah. he can be brilliant and he can turn a game and he can and he can win a game for you. And you need that kind of match-winning quality in the Premier League. You'll watch games every week on, on Sky and you'll hear about them, you know, on the BBC, that players that don't necessarily do things game in, game out, but they will turn a game with a free kick or a, a piece of skill that will set up a goal, a goal-scoring opportunity and, and win a game for their side. Therefore, they, they maintain their place in the side. Uh, Jason, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Last question to you. Uh, obviously, we, we we talked about the start. It's been a long ten years for for Leicester City, and it's weird in football because you only get sort of promotions that you know they don't come around too often. Basically, so uh, you obviously as a commentator, this is the first time you'll have seen Leicester sort of play with this you know this style and and, uh, and get promoted. How important is it for the fans to enjoy the next few weeks and then embrace the challenge next year? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is key for them to um, enjoy what's happening at the moment. I mean, there's the next 
three or four weeks before the end of the season, a few games. I mean, the plans are already in place for what happens on the final day of the season should um, Leicester City uh, um, pick up the trophy, of course, after the game against Doncaster. And I think that's going to be um, a day that I think all Leicester City fans are going to remember. But, I mean, this football is a sport that's meant to be enjoyed. Yes, we... Um, can cry about it sometimes, can get angry about it, but it's a sport that is meant to be enjoyed. And um, the journey to get to the Premier League, City have got there now. And I think the excitement of the summer is going to be immense as well, seeing what happens in terms of transfers. Again, I don't think it's going to be uh, the old spend days where there's maybe a new signing every 20 minutes or so, but it's going to be um, interesting to see what kind of player Nigel Pearson brings in because I think fans are going to know they're going to be added quality. They're going to be right for the team, right type of personality, and going to fit in with that team ethic that they've got at the moment. So, I mean, Nigel's already said that he's not going to um, tinker with it too much. It's, going to, it's just going to add what he thinks is right for the club. And who knows, it could be a great day out on the first day of the new season against Hull City. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's leave it there. Um, thanks very much for coming on, uh, Jason and, uh, and Jim as well. Uh, enjoy the next few weeks, both of you. I'm sure you will. Um, much appreciated. That's uh, Jason Bourne, sports reporter at BBC Radio Leicester and our very own Jim Knight. Next, we are going to drop down a division and take a look at another side who are on an incredible unbeaten run and also dreaming of promotion. It's 16 games and counting for the Millers and Steve Evans. So Rotherham United promoted last season from League Two are at it again. The Millers with 77 goals from 40 games are at the time of recording the Football League's top goal scorers and they scored at the start and at the death on Saturday as they won that crazy game at the Priestfield 4-3 against Gillingham. That was in main thanks to a magnificent second half hat-trick by Tom Hitchcock. It extended their brilliant unbeaten run that I just mentioned plus also confirms them a place in the playoffs and ensures that they're still in with a chance of automatic promotion just six points behind Brentford with six games to go so can they do it and what has been the secret to another incredible season at the New York Stadium well joining me on the line right now is Jonathan Bucket, who's a freelance sports broadcaster and a man who watches the Millers week in week out for BBC Radio Sheffield Jonathan uh, thank you very much for coming on the show first things first tell me about this game on Saturday then was that the kind of comeback and result that makes you think that Rotherham might be on the brink of something special here? Well, I think it was the most remarkable game that I've been at and actually <laughs> watched in the flesh. And I've seen a lot of games over the years. And, and it was, from the very first minute to the very last minute, one of those crazy matches. Um, 14 seconds in, the first goal came. Uh, and again, I think that's the quickest goal I've ever seen. I was sat with a man called John Breckin, who is a, an absolute legend for Rotherham, played over 450 games for them. He's been assistant manager for the football club as well. And, and even he said, all these years in football, you know, he's in his mid-60s now, that's the quickest goal he's ever seen, he thinks. So it, it was a remarkable game. And then you mentioned the substitution in the second half. Not only was it a second half, hat-trick by Tom Hitchcock who's on loan from Queen's Park Rangers a 27-minute hat-trick from Tom Hitchcock and you know there was some calamitous defending which is what you get in League One at times as you'll know but there were also some wonderful finishes um, one of the, the Gillingham goals was a brilliant lofty yeah, yeah. chip as well which was, was absolutely magnificent and then but, it was better down the other end so it, it was one of those remarkable games and you know if they can G themselves up to keep fighting until the, the 96th minute a league game at Gillingham then what can they do when they're fighting for promotion possibly in the playoffs or on the final day of the season for automatic very true And uh, but considering he's only 21 as well the, the quality of Hitchcock's goals the first finish where he completely wrong footed the goalkeeper put it the other side and like you say the third goal in the last minute to produce that unbelievable uh, and, and just to have that, that cool headedness and that calmness to be able to make the move because the ball was it was it was a hopeful overhead hack you could say by James Tavernier and, and he just dropped in the area he was the one who'd made the run from the onside position because a couple of the players were offside at the time running backwards towards away from goal should I say so he'd made the right run he got on the end of it and then just looped it into the top far corner and it was it was unbelievable scenes it was in front of the travelling fans and you know it's a, it's a four hour journey from, from Rotherham down to, to Gillingham in a car so on a coach from any of those fans it was you know an hour or so longer easily and, and there were a good few hundred fans that had made it right in front of them brilliant and as you say the, the first goal I interviewed him after the game and, and I said you know that, that 
third goal was magnificent for you. And he said, yeah, but my favourite was the first one because he said the touch made it. If I yeah. hadn't have controlled it the way I did, I wouldn't have been able to finish it the way I did. So, you know, he knows just what quality he's got there. QPR certainly know what quality he's got. They've been frustrated and he's been frustrated. He's not been getting regular first-team football. But with the way that Rotherham have been playing... You know, it's not been surprising he's had to sit out on the bench. However, he did also say to me after the game at the weekend, well, what else do I have to do to get a starting shirt now? <laughs> and you would think that against Sheffield United, which is their next game, big game like that, that he really should be knocking on the door for a starting shirt now. But it's hard to change a winning team. Yeah, well, you mentioned it's uh, hard for him to get in the team. And I mentioned the fact they've scored so many goals. They must be, I mean, for a Rotherham fan, obviously, it's brilliant at the moment. But just as a sort of journalist to cover them the quality of attacking play they're producing I mean uh, looking at the strike line uh, Kieran Agard's got 21 this season you've got Wes Thomas there plenty of goals from midfield Alex Ravel there's goals wherever you look in that side yeah there are and that's the thing you know they, they've got some very creative midfielders you know Ben Pringle who plays on the left hand side he's, he's only got himself six goals this season but he's probably created a dozen at least because his delivery uh, into the box has been magnificent throughout the campaign he's been linked with championship clubs you know he's a former derby player he's been linked with them again in January but obviously the, the Millers have been able to hold on to him they've got Lee Frecklington in there who who is you know a real workhorse and has some great quality around the edge of the box to be able to ping one into the top corner every so often they, they've managed to bring in on loan from, from Middlesbrough Richard Smallwood who does the, the unsung things and, and, and the parts of the game that necessarily fans don't notice you know he, he played a couple of lovely balls set up Hitchcock uh, at the weekend and then you know Kieran Agard as you say he's got 21 goals he's playing up front alongside Alex Ravel at the minute but for the first half of the season he was actually playing on the right hand side of midfield <laughs> but he managed to find himself in the right place at the right time for so many games where he just kept scoring these goals and you know he's, he's not the most gifted of footballers I think it's fair to say but he is always in the right place at the right time and he is a real workhorse and you know he's, he's taking his time on the right hand side of midfield admittedly he wants to play up front and now he is playing up there he's continued to score as well so it's a good combination they've got they play some lovely fluid football but then they can also knock it long because Alex Ravelli is one of the best I don't want to be unflattering and calling a battering <laughs> ram but you know he, he's got a great it. touch yeah exactly I just have he's got a great touch he can bring it down he can bring other players into the game with his control you know he's a very talented and again unsung player but he's a, a real you know a real asset to Rotherham United especially when they do at times have to when some sides sit behind the ball go along because some teams have come to Rotherham and been afraid of them and just sat behind the ball and at times you need more than one plan Well it's been weird in League One this season because we've had this sort of situation where there's been five outstanding teams who are sort of racking up all the points um, and obviously Orient, Brentford and Wolves have sort of been at the head of that and then sort of Rotherham and Preston have been sort of together for most mm. of the season now correct me if I'm wrong but at this stage sort of last year Rotherham sort of made a late burst through the playoffs to, to pinch that last automatic promotion I think they finished second in the end didn't they but um, really? uh, but this season it feels like they're about to do something similar perhaps yeah and I think that they'll believe that as well you know they've been playing it down Steve Evans you know he's, he's a manager who will play it down um, in public anyway in private I know that they are looking at, at the top two um, but you know they won't say that publicly at all because you know that's the right thing to do isn't it you know you, you, you keep expectations grounded and, and then if you have to go through the playoffs you've not been disappointed by missing out on the top two because at the end of the day you've just been talking about getting in the playoffs but last season yeah they, they had a bit of a wobble with probably about a quarter of the season to go and dropped out of the automatic promotion places and dropped down the table and then managed to turn it around and climb back up and race their way into the top three as you say so they managed to, to, to do that last year and I think that you know the players will believe that they can do that again the fans will believe they can do that again the management certainly believe they can do it again and you know you can also look at Brentford and, and the way that they missed out on automatic promotion last year, uh, obviously in that dramatic finale to Doncaster, and then they obviously missed out on the playoffs as well in terms of going up via the playoffs. So you do wonder if some of their players and some of their staff might get a little bit jittery. I know they're under different management now, but it's still under the same coaching staff. And you wonder if they'll get jittery and if Rotherham can chase them down. You know, I really, with six games to go, would not be right in writing Rotherham off at all and with the running that they've got this this next fortnight is huge yeah well let, let's give those fixtures out they've got yeah. um, Sheffield United away on Tuesday this week so that might actually have been played by the time some people are listening to this but then they've got Bradford in another sort of Yorkshire uh, derby I suppose on Friday yeah. and then yeah, they've got is, yeah. Wolves away on Good Friday obviously top of the league then Port Vale and MK Dons at home and then Swindon away so they are playing a lot of teams up at the top there but that's not necessarily a bad thing 
it's a good thing for Rotherham. They tend to step up their game. You know, for me, the game against Gillingham at the weekend was the one that I thought was probably the most worrying one. I, I, you know, looking at it, thinking, well, are they going to be up for this game? And in some ways, you could argue that they, you know, maybe weren't at their best because they did concede three goals. Okay, they won the match, but they conceded three goals. And looking at the, this next fortnight in particular. Sheffield United, as you say, you know, the result could be over and done with here, so I'm not going to predict a result because I, I may sound very stupid. Um, but, you know, they've got a game at Wembley at the weekend of Sheffield United to think about. And yeah. Nigel Clough has said that, you know, they will certainly, you know, move a few players around. Steve Evans said to me after the game of the weekend, we're going to have no respect for what Sheffield United has got coming up. We're going into the trenches, it's a Yorkshire derby, and we want the points. Then you look at Friday night, they've got Bradford City who aren't particularly playing for anything now. You know, you could argue, you know, on the beach already, as the saying goes. But they've also got a over Bradford over the last couple of years they've had some very good results against them it was a fiery affair every time these two meet so that'll be an interesting one uh, on the Friday night and then Wolves and by that stage Wolves could be all but home and hosed pretty much again which could be another factor that you take into account and go hang on will they you know still be having that fight that that Rotherham will be having to try and get in the top two so for me they've got a really good running yes it's a tough running but I think that suits them and I think they'll be really g'd up for it and they're at the best when they're playing the best teams in the league and with the squad they've got and the manager they've got and the, the obviously the stadium they've got now does it feel like a club to you that's ready to be a championship side again? I think it's certainly ready to have a go at being a championship side again. I think they would have to improve the playing squad. I don't think there's any doubt over that and they clearly would do that and Tony Stewart, the chairman, has always backed his managers and in particular Steve Evans. You know, whenever Steve Evans has gone and asked for something, he's been able to go out and get it um, and, and, you know, he's signed well. He's had a high turnover of players and some have come in, not lasted very long and then been shipped out on loan and that's just the way he's done things. You know, the, the players are a, a very talented bunch. I think that sometimes they maybe lack that little bit of aggression and needle and that experienced head that they might need if they go up. And, you know, you look at players like Kieran Agar, would he be able to score that many goals again in the championship? I'm not too sure, to be honest with you. So they'd maybe have to, to look at that front again as well. But in terms of the infrastructure and setup now, the stadium's fantastic. For any for any of your listeners that haven't been, it is an excellent stadium. It's not one of these identikits you see just popped up off the side of a motorway somewhere that all look the same but just have the club colours. It's in the heart of the town. It was, you know, hoped it would regenerate the town and they're still hoping it will do so in the long run. And it has got character to it. It's, you know, two-tiered in terms of it slopes down from the highest point down to the lowest point on one side to the other. It, it is a really nice ground and... You know, I think the fans, after everything they've been through, let's not forget, you know, they had administrations, huge point deductions. They were playing out of the town of Rotherham in the city of Sheffield at the Don Valley Stadium for four seasons. They've really been through the ringer of Rotherham fans. So it will be absolutely fantastic for them if the club could get itself back into the championship. Great stuff. Well, enjoy the running, Jonathan. Uh, thanks very Thank much you. for coming on and speaking to us. Uh, no that problem. is Jonathan Buchan, who is a freelance sports broadcaster who covers Rotherham for BBC Radio Sheffield. And next, it's time for my club as we hear from another fan in 125 seconds, all to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Football League. And today, it's the turn of the Blues, Birmingham City. This is We Are Going Up, my club in 125 seconds. Hello, my name is Chris Quinn and my club of Birmingham City. So, Chris, do you remember your first ever game, uh, first ever visit to St Andrews? Uh, well, I've got a vague memory. It was in uh, the brilliant Anglo-Italia Cup back in the day. <laughs> um, I believe we were hosting Genoa. Um, wow. And if my memory serves me right, we got absolutely battered and lost 4-2, I think. It was around that sort of scoreline. Set the tone then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OK, your, uh, your best moment. Let's start with the positives. Your favourite moment ever as a Birmingham fan. You've had, uh, obviously, a cup win and a few promotions. What's the one moment that stands out for you? Uh, well, funnily enough, uh, Bruges away in the Europa League actually wow. uh, beats the Carling Cup for me. Going out there for three days with about 9,000 Blues fans, Chris Wood tapping in at the near post in the 100th minute, absolutely ridiculous. And then the scenes in the stands were unbelievable. And your, uh, your favourite Blues player in your time supporting him? Um, I've got a bit of a penchant for underrated centre midfielders. So, <laughs> okay. uh, I like Pine it. Hughes would be my favourite closely followed by Keith Fahey and uh, correct me if I'm wrong but Birmingham strike me as a, a club who in the Premier League have probably uh, signed their fair share of uh, foreign nobodies who turned out to be crap um, <laughs> who's the worst player or worst signing you can remember well I actually put this out to the Twitter masses so that I, would, right. I wouldn't forget anybody and <laughs> I had a ridiculous amount of responses um, we had a goalkeeper called Richard Kingston who played about who played one game and as he went to make a save, it was a home game against Portsmouth. Uh, he smashed his head off the post and had to be substituted. <laughs> um, so he definitely gets a shape. But I think 
also up there would be Senegalese right-back Ferdinand Coley, Argentinian striker Luciano Figueroa, who was signed by David Sullivan behind the manager's back and played 27 minutes away at Blackpool in a cup game, something <laughs> like that. And Carlos Custley, who was atrocious but was a fan's favourite as he had one sort of shuffle trick that seems to fool every defender in the division for a while quite a roll uh, call but, but they soon cottoned on yeah uh, great stuff I, I like the effort that's gone into that I like the fact you've prepped it anyone else who comes on you need to prep it like Chris uh, Chris <laughs> your two minutes is up thanks mate no problem my club in 125 seconds we are going up we've got the football league covered Thanks to Chris. There will be another My Club next week, provided we can get hold of a fan. Uh, remember, if your club has not been covered yet this season, uh, we gave out a huge list of who is left last week. Please do contact us. Uh, the Twitter is Wagyu Podcast. That's W-A-G-U Podcast. Or you can uh, email via the website wearegoingup.co.uk slash contact. Hopefully, we can then arrange to get you on before the end of the season. Right then, let's go to Newcastle. Hello, David Cameron Walker. Hello. Hello. What the bloody hell are you doing in Newcastle is the first question. <laughs> Very good question, isn't it? Uh, I'm staying in a hotel, in fact, opposite, right opposite St James's Park with a lovely view of magnificent arena that St James's Park in Newcastle or not in, not in Exeter. Um, I'm at the student radio conference uh, telling students uh, how to do sports radio. Brilliant. Which may or may, not, may or may not be a good idea. So did they sort of send the invite to the wrong person then? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. You're 28 years old, mate. Stop clinging on. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Uh, right, let's um, let's get into the roundup. We've uh, we've done Leicester already uh, at length with Jim and Jason, so let's start with the race yeah. for that. Well, congratulations. Uh, yes. I should extend my congratulations oh, to them. Well done. That's very nice of you. <laughs> let's talk about the second uh, promotion spot. Uh, defeats for both Derby and QPR um, at the weekend. Uh, Derby mm. lost 1-0 at Middlesbrough. Nathaniel Chalabar with a goal. QPR lost 2-1. Oh, come back, Nathaniel. <laughs> QPR lost 2-1 at Bournemouth. Bournemouth now won four in a row and seven of their last nine. More on them in a second. Uh, but that was a bit of a missed opportunity for both clubs because uh, Burnley only drew your lot Watford yeah getting a late goal uh, Scott Arfield a player we've mentioned a few times haven't we as a bit of a, an unsung hero getting a late goal um, which is an all too familiar story for Watford really this season a late goal have really cost us throughout the whole season uh, a great goal from Troy Deeney it looked like a little bit of a deflection mm, actually, magnificent a, strike it was still, still, a, still a really good seven hit. in his player, last seven is that right a player who's absolutely banging form he's the, he's the only he's the first player to score 20 goals in, in two consecutive seasons for Watford since Cliff Holton Way back in the sixties, How? I think exactly, yeah. Um, and he, you know, he could well be off in the summer, I think, actually. But I mean, credit to Burnley that they they've done exactly what we haven't done this season. They fought back from adversity time after time to, to turn draws into wins and, and losses into draws and that's exactly why they're still sitting pretty in second well they're only uh, well, there's only six games to go and they've still got a ten point cushion now so only a meltdown of epic proportions would prevent them getting that spot um, in terms of the playoffs Derby and QPR are going to be in there Charlie Austin I noticed came on as a sub for QPR on Saturday that could be quite important, important. Yeah. yeah absolutely and I think you know they got him back have been struggling in his absence. They haven't really had any strikers or forward players that have been in the form all season apart from him. But then Ravel Morrison, who's who's won a player of the month, isn't he? Um, he's come in recently and has scored a few goals, looked lively for them. He's got obvious quality. You know, it wasn't so long ago that people were talking about him as maybe even going to the World Cup with England. Um, and, you know, now having Austin back with Morrison in the team, I suppose that will give them a boost before the playoffs. And they need it really, don't they? Because they have had a few... Kind of well, they've just the last few months really they've stuttered. They've kept, they've done enough to keep up in that top six, but they will be disappointed that they're not in the top two, and they're going to need to step it up a little bit to to stave off the challenge from some of the teams coming up into the playoffs. It could make it late on. Definitely in fifth, uh, Wigan who uh, beat Leeds one 0 on Saturday. Martin Waghorn. Uh, Is Leeds? Leeds on goal. TV at lunchtime again? <laughs> Never. I know. Um, and there was quite a, actually a good bit on the Football League show where Steve Claridge pointed out that uh, Jack Butler put his hand up to appeal for. Um, I threw a foul, I think it was. And in that split second, the shot came in and he just couldn't quite get down to it. Play to the whistle, Jack. Play to the whistle. Mm. Um, below them, though, that sixth spot, Reading had a very good weekend. They won 1-0 at Charlton with their first win at the Valley in almost 20 years. Danny Williams uh, with a goal. 16 out of the last 18 away didn't points. Didn't he enjoy it as well? He did, didn't Running he? into the crowd, yeah. He did. Um, and there's a five-point cushion now uh, between Reading and the four clubs below, which would lead you to think, David, that uh, they, they'd be nailed on. But listen to this. I don't know if you've seen this. This is the running that Reading have got their last six games. They play Bournemouth away on Tuesday night, who are on fire. And obviously Bournemouth are five points behind them. So if Bournemouth win that, that's down to two. Then they 
play Leicester at home next Monday. They then play Wigan away on Good Friday, Middlesbrough at home on the 22nd, Donny away, and then Burnley on the, the final day. So that's four of the top ten, including the, the top two. Although, I mean, the top the, the games against Leicester and Burnley, Leicester obviously already up, Burnley probably will almost certainly be up by the final day. So you'd think they should go into those games thinking that they really should take advantage of that and, and win those Middlesbrough, Doncaster, they should be winnable. It's the win in the Bournemouth game that really are the two huge crunch games for them, aren't they? And the Bournemouth game tomorrow night, as we record uh, Tuesday night this week, is absolutely huge. What I mean, Bournemouth out of nowhere. They had a good season. You know, they were lower mid-table for a period, mid-table doing decently at home, conceding a lot of goals early season away from home, including six at Vicarage Road back in back in August. And out of nowhere, they've, they've put this fantastic run together and. They they could be the club. They no. could be the club if they get the win well, um, on Tuesday. Do you want to hear their running? Their running is uh, red. Oh, well, I, I've just been looking at it, isn't it? It's, 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 they've got the Reading game, Yeovil, Sheffield Wednesday, Ipswich and Forest. So all teams Millwall, have got something yeah. to play for. Um, yeah, Millwall, all, all teams have got something to play for. So they're not, none of those games are going to be easy, but the games against Reading, obviously, Ipswich and Forest, the opportunity to take points and teams around them. I mean, and they're absolutely flying. You wouldn't bet against them at the moment. They've got the momentum. So uh, also on their 58 alongside Bournemouth, uh, Brighton and Ipswich, both of them didn't win at the weekend. Forest as well. Nottingham Forest. Never a dull moment. Uh, They lost Mm. 2-1 at home to Millwall, uh, but they have finally appointed their new manager, although he's not taken over. He's not there yet. Until the summer. And Gary Brazil sort of said in the interview after the game that, you know, we're not giving up on this season just yet. Well, it kind of looks like the board have. Well, it kind of looks like Stuart Pearce has, doesn't it? Yeah. Surely if he wanted to come in, I know, you know, he's got... He has got bit of an odd one, with, with 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 radio and TV. He's doing stuff for Talksport during the World Cup. Um, nice so plug. I think, I think. Well, no, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I mention it because you know we all been saying at work. Oh, sure, that's surely that's Pierce off now, isn't it? But I think he he seems to be quite an honourable guy. So I think there is part of it that's saying, look, I've made a commitment to these broadcasters, and, and I will follow that through. And I can't commit myself fully to Nottingham Forest yet, but. You can't help but think, look, Stuart, just get rid of all of that and concentrate on the job. Because if he'd gone in and if he'd managed to galvanise that squad, they could have finished in that sixth place. And I really don't think they're going to do it under Gary Brazil now. And, you know, it's, it's start again next season for Stuart Pearce. Maybe that'll be a good thing for him. I don't know. Maybe it would have been a, a bit too much of a baptism of fire to, to find themselves in the Premier League after, you know, taking over after a few weeks. But, you know, the fans will be disappointed. Uh, my weekly Millwall update from Joe Amphlett, he went to the game. He went to the game at Forest at the weekend and he said Forest were terrible, the atmosphere was bad, the fans were negative and Millwall just stifled them and they, they got the three points, which is absolutely huge for them. But yeah, well, Forest have blown it really, haven't they? Yeah, well, 10 games without a win. No more on Millwall in a second. Before we go into the relegation battle, Leeds United, DC, Massimo Cellino, the story that keeps oh, on running this. Jesus. Leeds have uh, suffered their seventh defeat in eight games, losing 1-0 at Wigan. They missed a penalty at home to Charlton last week in injury time to get a point. That just about sums up their season, doesn't it? Um, but this is what's happened. Cellino can now complete his takeover because he's won an appeal against the Football League's decision to block the move. Um, so uh, he's agreed to buy a 75% stake in the club from Gulf Finance House Capital. Is this positive news or not? I can't really work it out, to be honest. I mean, the, 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 Leeds, sure the Leeds fans seem happy with it, don't they? Well, yeah, because, I mean, Chilino's obviously got interviewed by the guy from the podcast last week and he was on Sky Sports News as well. I, I heard that live and that was a crazy interview. He really, they were trying desperately to keep it onto football and, and kind of Leeds United matters. But he was going on and on about this boat, this tax tax exile issue with the boat and saying I'm not guilty I'm not guilty <laughs> poor Brian Swanson was having a heart attack um, <laughs> but you know he's certainly a character and he seems to be he seems to be passionate committed to Leeds and you know very unhappy about what he deems to be bad practice in terms of the management and structure of the club and he wants to go in and do a good job not sure whether he will or not I don't know that much about how he's done at Cagliari I know just take the manager I think at yeah he has uh, Diego Lopez 36 yeah, manager in 22 exactly. years I mean, that's the stat isn't it it's crazy Brian McDermott He's been sat once before this season, yeah. still still there. I imagine he'll probably Poor Brian. go in the summer, to be honest. And yeah. I, I mean, let's be honest, Brian's had a difficult job to do with the, with all the turmoil behind the scenes. But at the same time, he's not done that well compared to how well he did at Reading. It hasn't gone for him at all this season. He hasn't kicked on. He looked a bit of a beaten man at times. I don't know how much that is to do with the takeover, but it hasn't hasn't been good. So you can make a case for him for him going. Certainly, they're bottom of the form table in the championship. They're doing terribly. But I suppose the bad thing is it's. It's more uncertainty. It's certainly a gamble with Chilino taking over at least. Um, by no means a certainty no. he's going to come in and, and ignite that place. And that's what he needs. He needs someone who's, who's got money, who's got commitment for the long term, who can come in to that club and 
get those that huge fan base and get the club moving in the right direction. And you just don't know, you know, you'll be on tenterhooks if you're a Leeds fan because yet again, could it be? It could be another false dawn, or it could be a return to the promised land. But you just don't know which way that's going to go at the moment. There was a great piece by Daniel Taylor actually in the Guardian on how not to run a football club, all about Leeds, which is uh, worth having a read of if you're interested. Uh, down the bottom of the table, then DC, things are very interesting. All of a sudden, uh, Birmingham won three one at Doncaster. So they've uh, pulled clear a bit. Two goals from McAdery was obviously at Doncaster on loan earlier this season. Blackpool lost at home to Yeovil, so they're not quite out of it just yet. Uh, but down the bottom, there's uh, three points separating four clubs: uh, Charlton who uh, obviously lost at the weekend, but they did win at Leeds last week. you got uh, uh, Barnsley, who drew at the weekend, Millwall, who won at Forest, and Yeovil, who won at Blackpool. And just when you think one of these sides uh, sort of uh, are out of it and they're going down, they managed to pull a result out of the fire. Well, they're all fighting, aren't they? And as so often happens at the end of the season, teams that can't get a win for love nor money all season suddenly start winning. Millwall win away at Forest. Uh, Yeovil put together a good run of results recently, but still find them, you know, found themselves bottom of the table on, on Saturday. I backed Barnsley to win against Brighton, actually, but they, I suppose, they might be a bit disappointed. Danny, you know, drawing a blank and getting a nil-nil draw at home to Brighton, and you know, as you say, Blackpool possibly still not out of it. It looks like it will go down to the. The last game. Well, Charlton to... still have still have those games in hand, don't they? Which is yeah. what all those teams around there will be focusing on. Well, listen You're to absolutely willing them not to do them. Their next two home games, Charlton are uh, is Yeovil, um, which I think is midweek this week, and then they uh, play uh, Barnsley at home next week. We're going to go, aren't we? We are going to go, which is, this is the game that we were going to go to a couple of months ago, but in a, in sort of effect, it's worked out better for us because it's this is could be a potential sort of huge huge relegation decider, really. Uh, so yeah, the podcast will be out on Wednesday next week because we'll be going to the Charlton against Barnsley relegation game on Tuesday. A quick um, story on Yeovil, actually, before we leave the, the bottom of the championship. Ishmael Miller has been uh, let go back to Forest because he had an argument with Gary Johnson. He stormed out of a Yeovil meeting. Gary Johnson had been questioning him and there's a few of the other players about why they travelled home i.e. home home instead of staying in Somerset after a game and he basically had a strop and walked out and they basically let him go and he'd scored 10 goals for them uh, he was their goal scorer it's quite a big gamble to let your goal scorer go at this stage I mean yeah absolutely I mean Gary Johnson is a manager who has had certain clashes with players before I've heard him tell stories about this sort of thing that has gone on he's, he's, he's not afraid to get stuck into players and you know, tell them who's boss and he is the boss and he's made the decision to let Ishmael Miller go. He could regret that though, you know, maybe at this stage of the season, a little bit more pragmatism, trying to keep things going, just patching things up until the end of the season because, I mean, but then if a player's unmotivated after an argument with the manager, maybe he thinks he's not going to do it but ultimately, as you said, he's scored goals for them. He's scored crucial goals for them. He's got them points this season. He's been a good signing for them. He's had the best spell that he's had over the last few years. We know he's a talented player. He's had injuries. He's not settled at clubs. He's had loan spells, but he seemed to, you know, have a reasonably good thing going at Yeovil this season. He's been been a really important player for them, and to to let your, you know, one of your main scorers go at this stage in the season when you're right down there. You might wonder whether they look back at the end of the season and wonder whether that was the wrong decision. OK, let's go down into League One, the race for promotion uh, there. Uh, Wolves beat Peterborough 2-0 on Saturday. Goals from Danny Bart and Dave Edwards. They've got a 12-point lead over third, a six-point lead at the top. They need seven points for promotion and uh, they've got 23 clean sheets in the league this season uh, which I think equals their club record from 1924 and it's I mean we talked about it before but it is that defensive solidity that Kenny Jackett's been able to build that team around isn't it? I've been talking to a Wolves fan actually one of the students here and I was saying it's so easy to say in hindsight but we, we all said at the start of the season Kenny Jackett was as good as a sure thing as you could find for Wolves and he's, he's done it again he's done well every club he's been at he's he, you know performed arguably above expectations and I know Wolves had big expectations this season and he, he's met them and he's probably more than met them because they're at the top of the league. What the nine, they're into the 90s now with their points total. They're going to get more than that. And I, I think they will win this division and they'll go back into the championship next season and, and they'll be a club you know, who still has a squad that's capable of, of more than competing at the championship level. They've got the infrastructure there. They'll still have some of the money from the Premier League days still kicking about and that, that'll be a big club next season. And it'll be big expectations. The expectations will be even higher next season and you'll have to deal with that because... The fans there, known for, for turning early doors if, if, if things don't go very well. But you wouldn't bet against Kenny Jackett being a man that could deal with that and take them, you know, well into the top half of the table next season. Uh, below them, Brentford beat Notts County 3-1 on Saturday. Uh, draws for Preston and Orion. And obviously Preston have had a difficult week with the uh, the spot-fixing allegations involving some of their players. Um mm. 
But what about in the race for second then? Because we, I mean, we talked about Rotherham uh, at length already uh, with Jonathan. Um, but uh, the, well, Brentford, Brentford will certainly be looking in their rear window, won't they? Yeah, six points behind now, and they have oh, better goal on. difference not, as well. You didn't get it. You didn't get the joke. Really? The hat trick from Hitchcock. I don't get it. Oh, for God's sake. Rear Window is an Alfred Hitchcock, uh, Hitchcock film. <laughs> is it? Yes. My, I, you know my movie knowledge is dreadful. Brentford might be getting Vertigo. Is that, is that Hitchcock? Oh, I know there's a U2 song. I know that called Vertigo. <laughs> That's all I've got. Um, but seriously though, Rotherham? Well, absolutely fantastic. I mean, you know, I think we forget they, they snuck into the promotion, didn't they? Automatic promotion, really. Right at the end of last season. Um, and then here they are, we're knocking on the door for automatic promotion again. Ever since Steve Evans had that long stadium ban, yeah. he's not really he's not really been in the headlines as much as he has been previously. So maybe maybe he'd learned a good lesson out of that. Uh, they've knuckled down. Hitchcock has been a player that's come to them and score goals on loan from QPR, and you know at the new stadium that they are a club that's going places. They've got a good infrastructure. They're, they're moving forward off the pitch, and this season has been a dream for them. Okay, let's talk about uh, the uh, the situation down the bottom. Obviously, Posh lost at the weekend, but uh, perhaps we'll come back to that race for the the final player spot next week. Uh, down the bottom, then uh, all changed. Some huge results at the weekend. Uh, we talked about Gary Medine last week, and he delivered, scored for Carlisle as they beat Swindon one 0 That's three clean sheets in a row. They're First win in eight games. Tranmere, who we talked about last week. Um, oh, God, I bet on Colchester. <laughs> I bet on Colchester. You know, I slagged, I slagged off John Louis Brackpro. I went and scored one and made one. Unbelievable. Um, and uh, yeah, there was obviously the Tranmere were playing in Colchester's kit there, weren't they? Because it was a bit of a yeah. shambles. Um, Crawley. That's one, for, that's one for football cliches, isn't it? The, 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 the team that has to play in the, you know, the home team's away Yes. Kit. Yes, uh, due to bad planning, basically. Uh, I mentioned Crawley there. They obviously have had all these games in hand. They've lost five in a row since they beat Wolves, so they're slipping uh, down there. Uh, Shrewsbury beat Stevenage. Crew won. There's three, three or four teams that are all on 43 points down there. Yeah, uh, so I've got the table so... in front of me. So you've got, obviously this is the time recording Monday night. You've got Stevenage on 39, Notts County on 40, Shrewsbury on 41, then Crew, Carlisle, Tranmere, Colchester all on 43 and Crawley on 46. Interesting. Like we said, I mean, like we said last week, it looked like a few teams were dead and buried, but it's come right back into it. Teams are—it's a mental thing. I think it's a psychological thing. Sometimes, when you're right down at the bottom and you think you're you're completely dead and buried, some sort of survival instinct kicks in, and you manage to get these results. You get one result. You get maybe you get a draw that you shouldn't have got, or a win that you shouldn't have got in the last minute, and all of a sudden you believe, and, and the players mentally are able to perform to a level that previously they looked nowhere near all season. And that's why we always have these relegation battles towards the end of the season. And, you know, it's good for us as fans, but, you know, as neutrals rather, but fans of the clubs must be, you must be sitting there thinking, God, like, why can't you pull these results out earlier yeah. in the season? Well, we haven't got a bloody clue who's going down, so don't uh, sort of ask us to predict. We'll, uh, we'll follow that in the next few weeks. And incidentally, we asked the question last week, didn't we, about why four teams go down from League One and four yeah. go up from Find League out. Two. And no, not really. Um, the best of that is, is, is Adam Priestley, who says, my guess is it goes back to Division 3 being split north and south, question mark, question yeah. mark. So perhaps we should do some actual proper research into that this week. Uh, OK, right, League 2 then. Uh, Rochdale drew 0-0 with York. They stay top. Scunthorpe, the Invincibles, uh, they uh, they won 1-0 at Torquay. Sam Winner with a penalty, 25 unbeaten. They're playing Barry on Saturday. It's nailed on. We're going to break that record. Uh, Chesterfield in third. They drop points at home to Newport. Um, so the top three still uh, a bit in front. Chesterfield only three points ahead now because Fleetwood won yeah, at Fleetwood, Oxford. Fleetwood, they won, didn't they? Yeah, and we talked about Oxford last week, but oh, um, do you remember when we had Dave Pritchard on the whole uh, at the time of the Christmas? Wilder incident we sort of said they're, they're obviously I mean, they really they've screwed this up haven't they big time <laughs> yeah. because they were they well on for automatic promotion they were right in the hat and I was just reading an interview with uh, with, with Gary Waddock and, he, and you know it's it's stuffed full of I mean the top line is that the Oxford players are completely like they're distraught mentally they're done they're spent they've got nothing left in the tank and then he goes on he's clutching the straws saying you know we've got to dig deep we've got to look at ourselves we've got to find something you know a performance that we need to we've got to turn the corner and all these things you're thinking you know maybe it's too late for them maybe they made they were, they waited too long to make that managerial appointment it was Mickey Lewis wasn't it who was in charge for, yeah. for quite a few games there and they and they Stumbled. They 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 trod water for too many weeks. They were in a great position. They lost Wilder. You know whether that was a good or a bad thing. You can debate about that. Wilder may be looking at it now and thinking, "I made the right decision." 
but Oxford will be gutted because they're a team they've been knocking on the door yeah. but then right at the last minute they fade away and they've done it again well in terms of sort of impacts as a manager three games he's been in charge they've lost all three and they've not scored a goal so oh, good. could have gone better um, uh, down the bottom then let's talk about the uh, obviously uh, Southend won against there in the playoffs can we, can we talk about Berry before we go before yeah, yeah, we yeah. get on to this of course I mean, we can I can't believe I mean it's 11th, absolutely mate. absurd I, <laughs> 11th I mean, it's not I mean you're not far off the bloody playoffs I know it's on it's I mean, on I We're remember on Saturday. Like, literally what about 10 days ago on that weekend where we went up to Nottingham before we met you yeah. I was on the train and we were with some lads who are not football league supporters uh, and they were asking us about our podcast and the teams and stuff and oh, how Barry doing and, and we, me and Carl were sitting there going oh you know, they could really go down and we were like two points by the relegation zone or something yeah. you had 40 44 points 46 points or something and and we were saying, you know, they really could, they, they're really in danger. Despite how badly talking Northampton are, if they lose this weekend, they could have a shocker. And you, well, you beat Northampton that weekend, then you won the game in the weekend, then you won again at yeah. the weekend. We did. Three, nine points in seven days, and you're not far from the bloody playoffs. It's absolutely absurd. I know. That's the kind of division it is this season. Uh, down the bottom, uh, which thankfully I don't need to worry about anymore, Wickham beat Dagenham 2 0. That was a big win for them because Northampton also won as well. Chris Hackett with a great finish, actually, from a tight angle away at Accrington. Uh, so uh, there's a three point gap between between Northampton and Wickham who've still got to play each other remember so that is going to be a huge huge game uh, Torquay though I mean they're sort of a uh uh, return to the Football League looks like it's coming to a, a miserable end they're a long long way from safety uh, before uh, we go DC a few more things I want to talk about okay. First, firstly the FA Cup semi-finals which are coming up this weekend we could have we could have a, an all Football League uh, Cup final Wigan play I, um, Arsenal sorry go I had, the privilege of, I had the privilege of holding the FA Cup this morning did you? Yes, they brought it in for work. Okay. Uh, and for the four-hour breakfast show at TalkSport, it's <laughs> completely ridiculous. I don't understand why people consistently want to bring trophies, inanimate objects, into radio studios. Yeah. It doesn't work. You, <laughs> you can't, can't see, see it them. on the radio, yeah. and the cup can't talk. Was there magic anyway, in the air? There wasn't any magic oh, in the air at shame. all. And, and this guy, big, big, massive guy with a ridiculous ponytail. Wasn't the moose, was it? He had gloves on, no, came in, had these white gloves on, just plonked this thing down in the studio, and literally, for four hours, stood with his hands behind his back next to the trophy, not saying a word. Four <laughs> hours. That's his job. Did he have rubber gloves Standing on? Standing next to the FA Cup. It was ridiculous. Um, anyway, the games. Wigan against Arsenal and Hull against Sheffield United. Well, Wigan are going to do it. Are Wigan going to do it? it? After how bad Arsenal were on Sunday, you'd, uh, uh, they've got I a chance, mean, haven't they? Absolutely. Even more so than when we spoke about it. The pressure on Arsenal is huge. It's massive. People are saying that this game you know, and, and if they win subsequent final, you know, could be absolutely pivotal to whether Arsene Wenger is at that club, whether his long reign comes to an end, you know, the next biggest thing to when uh, Fergie retired in the summer. It's that big for Arsenal. If they've got a weight of almost, you know, 15 years of history on their shoulders in that game, the fans are desperate for a trophy. And Wigan have been playing well and they've got absolutely no pressure on them whatsoever. So, you Come know, on, Wigan. Come on, Wigan. They're going to do it. They're going to go back to Wimbledon. They're going to do it again. What about uh, Sheffield United against Hull? I mean, not quite as clear-cut this one. No. Well, not the other one is clear-cut, but I mean, <laughs> not, not quite the same sort of balance. But, you know, Hull have been have been doing well. I, I think they might have just enough to get them on. I've been quite impressed by them this season. If you if you think how close they were, well, I often think about it on a daily basis. <laughs> not, going, not going up automatically last season. They've been arguably the best team of the three that have gone up yeah. uh, this season. Um, and Sheffield United are you know, doing well enough in League One. Clough's got them on a, a decent run. And it should be a tight one, but I mean, I, you couldn't call it. If I was going to call it, I probably would tip it just in favour of Hull. But I think it'd be a good game nonetheless. OK, and uh, remember anyone going to a game this weekend, uh, all games in England kick off seven minutes late because of the Absolutely. 25th anniversary of the Hillsborough disaster. Right, before we end the show then, last week at the New Den, Prostate Cancer UK versus the MPs. So uh, unfortunately, we haven't got uh, any audio from the event, but uh, it was a great morning out there. So if you missed the show last week, got invited along, I sort of uh, hung around next to Laurie McMenemy on the touchline, bizarre. And uh, DC played uh, in the same team as Lufa Blissett. I did. It was ridiculous. And you, you were four 0 up, and you lost six five. We lost six five. I mean, it's absolutely scandalous. You were not happy with Dermot uh, Gallagher, well, were Dermot you? Dermot Gallagher. <laughs> he needs to take a long hard look at himself. We need to do. We need to. Never mind getting Dermot Gallagher on the phone to talk about referee decisions. Someone we could do the same about him. He is. He uh, was terrible. He gave a disgraceful penalty against us when we were four one up. There was never a penalty in a million years. He gave them a goal, which he said was over the line when he couldn't see. He was forty yards away. Couldn't get up with play, and it was ridiculous. He, he, he tried to give them. He gave them indirect free kick which I subsequently cleared off the line. And, you know, nearly that was nearly an absolute scandal. Um, but we just collapsed. So, you know, we did start off with Neil Harris and Luther Bissett up front. 
And then after we were winning 4-0, we gave, we gave Neil Harris to the MPs and that somewhat turned the game. <laughs> but I didn't start the match. You didn't. I told, the, uh, told our, our gaffer, who's one of the Millwall coaches, um, that I was a centre-back, could do a job at right-back or left-back if you need me, uh, a centre-back by trade. And he was like, OK, son, yeah, we'll bring you on after 10 minutes when one of the old guys is blowing. And uh, 10 minutes comes, he went, son, can't, you're on right wing. <laughs> what? Right wing? I know you've seen me run. I've never played right wing in my life. But you did all right. Um, you, you nearly oh, uh, I really enjoyed linked it. up well with Luther. About it, the best thing about it was absolute, a football fan's, Watford fan's dream come true. Luther Blissett was playing on the right side of the front two. I was playing right wing, so I was dovetailing with, with Luther Blissett, <laughs> trying to do my best Nigel Callahan impression. Probably wasn't quite that good. But I was, and there was a couple of moments where I was making runs through. Luther had the ball, sort of holding the ball up, and I was running through, going, Luther, Luther, put it over the top. Hit me. It was like that. And you just stand still and you think, Christ, I'm just, I'm telling Luther Blissett to try and pass through the ball. Brilliant. Uh, and, so it was amazing. Uh, and Holloway did a little sing, did he, on, on the pitch before, and a nice little yeah, he did. pep talk. He did. He did a nice little, another nice little speech about prostate cancer, reminded us all why it's such an important cause. And, you know, I just reiterate what I said last week. Really, get yourself on the website, yes. Man United. Get yourself, get yourself signed up. And learn it about see, it. Get uh, yourself checked out. It was good to see some of the football league teams wearing the scarves as well when they were going out for games at the I weekend. Got so many of those bloody scarves. <laughs> I've got four of those Man United scarves in my house. Wearing with pride. <laughs> uh, to get in touch on Twitter this week, it is at Wagyu Podcast. The SoundCloud page is soundcloudcom Podcast. and you can go to the website wearegoingup.co.uk. Remember, uh, reminder: if you still want the uh, the free audio book courtesy of Audible, that offer is audible.co.uk/slash/goingup. To go get involved. Some in holidays that. coming up. Some uh, holidays absolutely. coming up. You're going to need a book for the beach, aren't you? Absolutely right. Enjoy Newcastle, mate. And um... I will, mate. I've got to go. I'm absolutely freezing my nuts <laughs> off the Newcastle University campus. It's I'll let you go, cool. mate. I'll let you go. All right. See ya. Bye. 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 That's uh, Dave Walker. We'll be back next week on Wednesday because it's Charlton against Barnsley Tuesday night bit of live we are going up action for you so I'll speak to you on Wednesday next week this is the We Are Going Up podcast we've got the Football League covered Hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.